Good morning. Good morning. Dean, Fred, morning. Be a good example. <laughs> there we go. Good morning, everybody. What's a what a pleasure to be up here and to see all these faces, a, a sea of faces. And uh, just want to welcome everyone to our services this morning. And I see we have some visitors here this morning. And want to welcome you here this morning and uh, make sure we all uh, greet our visitors. And, uh, and uh, praise the Lord that we can, uh, we can be, in this, uh, be here this morning. And uh, praise God. Uh, we have a few announcements this morning. Uh, Ian had a, uh, there's a number of announcements in the bulletin. Uh, one of them is that uh, we will be having our uh, business meeting coming up uh, the end of September. So be uh, thinking about that and planning for that, all of the uh, different boards, etc. And uh, Ian has a couple of announcements as well. So every week on the inside page of your bulletin, we try and make note of upcoming things uh, to watch out for, and it's almost fall. And so, and so we've taken a summer break from Sunday school and from our uh, weekday discipleship groups, and those rhythms are gonna kick back into gear here. So Sunday school is gonna start again at 9 a.m. every Sunday. Uh, and that'll start uh, the Sunday after Labor Day. So I made a note of that, that's September 10th. And so that's at 9 a.m. before our morning worship services every Sunday. And uh, that's a time where um, it's sort of focused age-specific discipleship classes uh, for different ages. And so we're still sort of working through some of the details. We're looking at maybe adding a couple of age, age group classes so we can give you more details as that as the as we figure those things out but um stuff there for all ages kids all the way up to adults so i'd encourage you to to take part in that it's always an encouragement and um if you're looking for a simple way to say all right i want to up my engagement with the word of god i want to up my fellowship with the body and have another opportunity uh to to engage with the word of god with with god's people that's a great place to start we'll also be um jumping back into our Wednesday night men's group. So I'd encourage any men who are looking for an opportunity to engage with the word. Uh, that's on Wednesday nights at seven, beginning on September 6th. And then we have a Thursday morning Bible study. That's starting up again too. Uh, and that'll be starting September 7th. That's 10 a.m. And, uh, and actually both in the men's group and the Thursday morning group to start, we're gonna be talking about the fear of the Lord going through a book on the topic of the fear of the Lord, which is an interesting topic and, and one that people often have big questions about. And so uh, that's what we'll be looking at there. So that piques your interest. You can mark your calendar for that. Uh, the other thing to note is that this week, this Saturday at 2 p.m., Craig Berkelow's uh, memorial service will be held he actually here at our church. So um, so Garrett Susie will be officiating that and uh, Christ the King Church, which is the church that Shelley's a part of, will be kind of putting together the details on that, but we're hosting them in our space. Uh, so if you could keep that family in prayer and, and be sure to come uh, if you want to support that family. Uh, and uh, the ladies at, at Christ the King are putting together the food for that event, 
But if there's any ladies here interested in bringing something, it is a, it's a potluck thing, and there's a sign-up sheet for that. So you can talk to Miranda if you want to link to that online sign-up. I think that's it. Oh. 2 p.m. Yeah, 2 p.m. on Saturday. All right, any other announcements this morning before we go into our service? All right, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in, uh, in prayer. And why don't we have just a moment of silent prayer and then I will pray. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. and We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that we might have eternal life. We thank you for how you work in our lives and you bring us difficulties and, and allow difficulties and, and also allow those good times and we know, although sometimes we forget, that you are always with us through all of those things that we go through in those trials of life, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would help us to lean on you in those difficult times, leaning on the everlasting arms. We thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today. We pray that you would watch over our service we pray that everything that we say and do would be honoring and glorifying to you. We pray that you'd watch over Ian as he brings the message, that your Holy Spirit would speak through him. We pray that you would just quiet our hearts and our minds this morning, and that you'd help us to listen to your word, and that we would be witnesses for you as we go from here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Our call to worship will be found on the uh, back of your uh, back of your bulletin. If you'd like to stand, that will be found. That is found in Psalm 124, and it's on the back of your bulletin. And we will read it responsively. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. When the people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrents would have gone over us. Then over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord, who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Amen. 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 Thank you. Let's uh, remain standing now and you can open your green books to number 133, 133. This is Psalm 133, put to music. Behold how good. Behold how good a thing is. 
precious oil poured out on Aaron's head, that going down upon his beard, upon his garment spread. Behold how good a thing it is, oh what a gift indeed, when brothers make it their delight to dwell in unity. Like Hermans do upon the hills of Zion that descends, the Lord commands His blessing there, a life that never ends. Just the voices. Behold how good a thing it is, Oh, what a gift indeed, when brothers make it their delight to dwell in unity. You may be seated. Thank you. And now if the uh, men would come forward for the morning offering, please. Luther, would you pray, please? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, oh, how you have blessed us. How great is this feast so many have come. Please watch over those who didn't make it today and hope they will come in the future. We give back, oh, Lord, only a portion of what you allow us to have in the first place. This is all yours anyway. Have us use it wisely in your favor, by your will, by your way. I pray all this for Christ Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will be found in uh, Revelation chapter 1. If you would like to follow along with me, Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. 
John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest of his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven gold lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, clothed in a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. For fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. Amen. And now if you would turn with me to number 270, we will stand and sing God, the Uncreated One, number 207. salvation who wrote the 
laws of space and time And fashioned worlds to his design The one whom angel hosts revere Hung the stars like chandeliers Numbered every grain of sand Knows the heart of every man He is king forever He is king forever He is king forevermore Fortress and our strength The rock on which we can depend Matchless in His majesty his power and authority Unshaken by the schemes of men Never changing, great I am Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall He is faithful through it all Crown Him King forever Crown Him King forever Crown Him King forevermore God in mortal flesh Forsaken by a traitor's kiss The curse of sin and centuries Did pierce the lowly Prince of Peace Lifted high the sinless man Crucified the spotless lamb Buried by the sons of man Rescued by the Father's hand To reign as King forever Reign as King forever Reign as King forevermore King eternal God of grace We crown you with the highest praise Heaven shouts and saints adore Your holy, holy, holy Lord What joy in everlasting life All is love and faith is sight Justice rolls and praises rise At the name of Jesus Christ King of kings forever, King of kings forever, King of kings forevermore. Amen. If you would remain standing, if you would remain standing, we will now turn to number 336 in your blue book. There is a fountain. Amen. Let's sing the first and the third and the last verse. One, three, and five. Sing it out.
Thank you. Amen. How much we have to look forward to, amen, in that day when in a nobler, sweeter tongue we'll sing his power to save with all the saints gathered around the throne. We're going to take some time to go to the Lord together now in prayer. All right, let's go to the Lord together. We come to you this morning, our Father and our God, and we worship you. We lift you up this morning in praise. We lift you up in our hearts, not because we can make you glorious, but because you are glorious. And because our desire is to see you as glorious, to know it in our heads and to know it in our hearts and to live it in our lives that there is nothing more valuable than you, God. And there is nothing more wonderful than to know you and to follow you. We praise you, Father, for revealing your goodness to us across the ages, especially in the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your mercy to us, that in the words of Philippians 2, though you were in the form of God, you did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but that you emptied yourself, Lord Jesus, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And what a wonder, Lord Jesus, that being found in human form, you humbled yourself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We praise you and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your, that there is a fountain filled with blood. We thank you for the forgiveness you have purchased for us at the cross, and we praise you, Heavenly Father, that, that you did not leave your son in the grave but that you have raised him from the dead in victory. And we praise you and we, we exalt you, Lord Jesus, because you have been highly exalted, that you are now seated at the right hand of the Father, and that a name has been bestowed on you that is above every name. And we know, Lord, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We praise you and we exalt you, Lord Jesus, our humble, glorious Savior. As we come to you astounded by your glory, like John when he received that revelation on the Lord's day, we are undone. In the light of your glory, it's revealed that we are but dust. It's revealed that we are sinners. And so this morning we confess, Lord, that before you, all hearts are open, all desires are known, that from you no secrets are hid, and we come to you this morning and we, we 
acknowledge our sins and we grieve them. Lord, we're, we're deeply sorry for our transgressions. When we accurately understand as best as we are able in our broken minds to fully understand the reality of our sin and your holiness, the burden of our sin is more than we can bear on ourselves. And so this morning we throw ourselves on your mercy. We ask, Father, that you would have mercy on us. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that you would forgive us all our sins. And we ask that in the power of his name and of his spirit, that you would grant us that from this point forward, we may live ever more pleasing to you in newness of life, to the glory of your name. Let's take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto God. Hear these words of relief from the word of God to all those who truly call upon him. From Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Lord, you are a hiding place for us. You preserve us from trouble. You surround us with shouts of deliverance. We praise you this morning and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that though our sins are many, your mercy is more. And as we throw ourselves on you and trust in your name, Lord Jesus, we trust that the blood of your cross is more than sufficient to cleanse us. And as we come before your throne, Father, now we come not as aliens, not as strangers. We come not as sinners, but as redeemed, ransomed, made righteous, raised to new life in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We come not as strangers and aliens, but as sons and daughters of the High King. Lord, we're aware that all of us come this morning in, in various frames of mind, we pray, Lord, your blessing over those who are here this morning who are in pain, that you'd give them relief, that you'd bring healing to their bodies. We ask, Lord, your blessing over those who are here this morning and are grieving, that you'd bring comfort to their hearts. We ask, Lord, your blessing over those here this morning who are weighed down with anxiety or with depression, that you would lift the darkness from them. We ask, Lord, your blessing over those who are here this morning and weighed down with guilt and shame, that they would come to a greater knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, your blessing, Lord, over those who are here this morning who are in sin and enslaved to sin. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bring them freedom. We ask, Lord, for those who are brokenhearted that you would lift them up for those in the darkness that you would give them light, for those who rejoice that they would be lifted up to you. We ask, Lord, for those who are feeling weighed down with blessings this morning that they would have hearts which give thanks to you. 
We ask, Lord, your blessing also over those who do not feel as though they are weighed down in blessings, that they would give thanks to you, that you would teach us to give thanks and be content in every circumstance, knowing that even the trials which come into our lives are given to us by you for a reason and for our growth in Christ-likeness. We ask, Lord, that you'd grow us in holiness, that you'd teach us to pick up our cross and to follow you, that you teach us that death is the way to life. We ask, Lord, that you would teach us to love self-sacrifice for the sake of others. We ask, Lord, that you'd be killing sin in our hearts. We ask, Lord, that you'd make us bold in sharing the gospel, that you'd give us feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. that the name of Jesus would ever be joyfully tripping off our lips. We ask, Lord, your blessing over the rest of our service together, that in every way you would be glorified, Lord Jesus, that we would glory this morning in the power of your resurrection. Give us Jesus this morning, Father, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's pray together in the words that Jesus taught us, the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. We're going to sing one more hymn before the, ser- the sermon. And so if you could stand with me, and we'll sing number f- 568 in your blue hymnals. May the mind of Christ our Savior. This is going to probably relatively new to you. I think we've only sung it once before, but it's a beautiful hymn. Good, good one for us to learn. May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. By his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see i triumph only through his power may the peace of god my father rule my life in everything that i may be to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. Him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. 
May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win, and may they forget the channel, seeing only Him. Amen. You may be seated. The beautiful prayer that is. I love that picture. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea. I love to see the different ways in which the sun sets and rises in different seasons, in a different angle in the sky, and the, the light shines in different ways on the horizon and on the clouds. As a kid, I heard adults talking about the weather and sunsets and clouds and rain all the time, and I thought, wow, that's really boring. I, I, I'm not interested in that. Um, but as an adult, I find myself fascinated by those things, right? Wouldn't it just be so boring if the sun never set or rose? If the moon never waxed or waned? If the seasons never changed, right? Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be pretty boring to have no days, no weeks, no years? It really is a gift that from the beginning of creation, God has actually He's ordered time for us. He didn't make us with watches on our wrists, but he's built patterns of time into the world through the sun, through the moon, through the seasons. In Genesis 1, we read about how the Lord separated the light from the darkness into day and night, how he placed the sun in the heaven to rule the day and the, the moon to rule the night. The sun marks out for us the days, right, as it, suns, as it uh, sets and rises, which then add up into years. And Psalm 104, 19 tells us that God made the moon to mark the seasons, right, as the moon waxes and wanes, it marks out for, these, for us these lunar months. Generations of our ancestors, prior to the invention of the light bulb and the modern oil lamp, we're yoked to these rhythms in a real way, right? That the daily rhythms of the sun dictated when you worked and when you had to rest. And without screens to dominate their imaginations, they were spellbound by the monthly rhythms of the moon and by the movements of the ever-circling stars. But on top of the daily rhythms of the sun and the monthly rhythms of the moon, the Lord has given us another rhythm of marking time, the week, right? The week. And we don't have a sun for the week or a moon for the week. We just count days, right? Seven sunsets and there's another week. And if you read the historians and the anthropologists, they trace the origin of the seven-day week all the way back to the Old Testament, 
to the Jewish people. And of course, we know where it began, right? Israel didn't make up the seven-day week. They were taking a cue from God. The Jewish people have always marked out time in weeks of seven days, and Scripture tells us why. Because when God made the world, he made it in six days. And that he rested on the seventh day. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God invented the weekend. He set aside the last seventh day of the week as a day of rest. And he blessed it and he sanctified it. And when he then called the people to himself in the days of Moses, he commanded them that they ought to remember and to sanctify, to set apart this day as well. Right? This is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And under the old covenant, they had all these regulations, right? Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so this is, as you read the Old Testament, this is just what you see the people of God in the Old Testament do, right? Throughout the Old Covenant era, not always as regularly as they should, but right on a regular basis, they were remembering the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. And this was a sign, right? They set apart the day as a way of saying that they were set apart for God. They sanctified the day as a way of saying they were sanctified to God. Until the coming of Christ. This is something radical that changes with the coming of Jesus. As you read through your, your Bibles, at, at the coming of Christ, something changes in terms of Sabbath keeping. The people of the Old Covenant believed the prophecies that one day a Savior was going to come, a Messiah, a Christ, that's the word in Greek, and that this Messiah was going to come to deliver his people from their sins and from their enemies and to restore the kingdom of God. And Jesus, we believe, is that Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all the hopes of Israel. And as believers in Christ, living after his coming, we are no longer bound to the Sabbath command in the same way that Israel was. The Apostle Paul teaches us this in Colossians 2, verse 16. He says, something radical has changed. Colossians 2, 16. He says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So he's listing here Old Testament regulations. He's saying, you know, the dietary regulations about what you can eat and what you can drink. He says, don't let anyone tell you you have to follow those anymore. Some of the Christians who were formerly were Jews were still keeping them, and some Christians weren't. And Paul's saying, don't let this be a division and he says the same with regard to festivals and new moons and Sabbaths. He says these holy days of the Old Testament, don't 
Don't be restricted by these things anymore. Why? Right? This seems so deeply baked into creation. Why had something changed? Well, Paul tells us in Colossians 2, verse 17, he says, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. According to Paul, this Old Testament Sabbath was just a shadow of which Christ is the substance. Right? It's as if Jesus was coming around the corner. And before you could see Jesus, you saw his shadow. But then when he comes around the corner, you're not looking at the shadow anymore, right? You're looking at Jesus. The Old Testament Sabbath was a kind of rest. It was a kind of rest, but not a final total rest. The Sabbath was like a picture of rest hung on the wall, like a painting of a far-off land, hung there for people to look at in the living room and enjoy and to long for. Sabbath was a picture of a land of rest. Jesus actually brings us there. Jesus is our Sabbath. He's the substance of rest. He is our rest from sin by the sacrifice of the cross. He's our rest from works as we rest in his righteousness. Jesus, our Savior, is the only one who can finally and fully give us rest, real, true, eternal Sabbath from the brokenness of this world and of our hearts. So all that to say, I would understand that we're not legalistically bound to the one day in seven Saturday Sabbath. I think Paul makes that clear. And yet it's very interesting. Though we see the New Testament teach that the Sabbath command was fulfilled in Jesus, we also find that in the New Covenant, after the coming of Jesus, after he's established his church, that God's New Covenant people are still counting to seven. They're still counting weeks in seven. They're no longer counting to the seventh day to set that day aside. They're now counting to the first day of the week. They're counting to the first day, Sunday, the Lord's day. And we see in the New Testament, and we're going to look at this, that the church was setting aside now the first day, not as a Sabbath, but as the Lord's day, a day set aside to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to worship him. And so this morning, we're going to go over the next section of our church's proposed statement of faith. And it's entitled, Of the Lord's Day. That's what we're talking about this morning, the Lord's Day. Uh, it's on the insert in your bulletin if you want to follow along with that. And as we look at the significance of the Lord's Day, I basically want to ask two questions. Why and how? Why and how? Why remember the Lord's Day? And how? How ought we to celebrate the Lord's Day? What, what practically are we supposed to do on it? Is there stuff we're not supposed to do on it? People have these kinds of questions. So that's what we're going to talk about, the why and the how. And the goal, my prayer in all of this, is that as we consider the Lord's Day, Jesus' Day, that Jesus would be glorified in how we count time, in how we think about our days, Jesus would be lifted up. It's a relatively long introduction, but it was an introduction. Let's pray now 
as we get into the sermon. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for time, for the sun and the moon and the stars, for days and weeks and months and years. And we thank you especially for the Lord's day. We ask now as we come to your word, Heavenly Father, that you would open our minds and our hearts to see wonderful things in your word, that you would present before us the glory of Jesus Christ and that we would love him. And that we would love him not just in our hearts, but with our hands and even with our weeks and our days. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The confession begins like this. It says, we believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. And we believe that the Lord's Day is a Christian institution for regular observance that on it we commemorate the resurrection of Christ from the dead with exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. So that's the statement. First question, why? Why Sundays? Why the first day of the week? Why not Mondays? Why not Wednesdays? Why not Saturdays, right? That's the Old Testament Sabbath. Why the first day of the week? And the first thing we're going to need to understand to understand the significance of this day is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This day, fundamentally, is the Lord's day because on it, Jesus rose from the dead. We read this in all of the gospel accounts. Uh, John tells us in John 20 in verse 1 that it was on the first day of the week that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. It was the first day of the week that the tomb was empty. Mary thought that all her hopes for a savior were dead in that tomb. Mary and the other disciples thought that Jesus' death had ended any hope that he was who he says, said he was. But then on the first day of the week, the tomb was empty. On the first day of the week, their confusion and discouragement turned to joy when Christ appeared to Mary and then to his disciples alive. Christ alive. Christ resurrected. Grave defeated, death undone. Christ's death had made them question if he was the Christ. His resurrection proved that he was exactly who he said he was, the divine Son of God, the Lord, the King. And so for those of us who love Christ, for those of us who, like Mary and the disciples, have put all our weight on Jesus, this day, Resurrection Day, is in some ways the day. <laughs> this is the day of our hope. This is the day of our victory. And so it's not too surprising that the church has made it our universal, historical practice to gather for worship on the Lord's Day, on the first day of the week on Resurrection Day. And we can see this practice traced all the way back to the New Testament, all the way back to, to the early years of the church in Acts. We see this hinted at in a couple of places. One is Acts 20, 
Acts 20. And Acts 20 is an interesting story because Paul is in Philippi and he's preaching. And he's preaching on a Sunday. We're told it's the first day of the week. And it's a memorable story because they were in an upper room. That's where they were meeting. And, and Paul happened to go long that Sunday. And there was a kid sitting in the window, Eutychus. Does anyone remember what happened to Eutychus in Philippi? He fell out the window, right? He fell asleep as Paul's preaching. Uh, and, and he was actually raised from the, he died, and he was raised from the dead. So incredible story. But what we have to think about, what I want us to see here is that this church in Philippi, this baby church, they're gathering, and when are they gathering? Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week. That's when they're gathering to worship, when they were gathered together to break bread. Uh, we see something similar hinted at in 1 Corinthians 16. In 1 Corinthians 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and there's a need in Jerusalem. Um, the church in Jerusalem is in a time of difficulty, and Paul is raising funds to support them. And so he writes to the Corinthians, and he tells them, this is how I want you to do your fundraiser. He says, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. The indication here being, when did the church in Corinth gather? It's the first day of the week, right? The first day of the week. And so how do we come to call it the Lord's Day? Well, here we would look to the first chapter in Revelation, which Kevin read for us earlier, right? Revelation 1, verse 10, and the Apostle John explains, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, right? First day of the week. And so these scriptural threads are picked up almost as soon as they leave off in terms of the earliest history we have of the church. If so you go back to the earliest documents we have from that first and second century, for example, the, the Didache was this early church manual. And in there, guess what it says? It says, every Lord's Day, gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions. Um, the universal witness we have of the early church is that Christians have always gathered on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day. Um, Justin Martyr, who is a Christian thinker and theologian in the second century, so just after the apostles, um, wrote something very interesting about the significance of the first day of the week. I want to read it to you. This is what he said. He said, Sunday is the day on which we all hold our common assembly. Again, very clear, this has been the, the universal practice of the church. Because, he says, it is the first day on which God, having wrought a change in the darkness and matter, made the world. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day, rose from the dead. That's very interesting what he's saying. His, his point is this, the first day, what's the significance in Genesis? Well, the first day of the week is God's first day in creation, right? That's when he's saying, let there be light, and there was. And in Christ's resurrection, he's saying, the first day of the week has become not just the first day of the first creation, but the first day of a new creation. You see this? That G the day of Jesus' resurrection is the first day on which the resurrection power of God has been made manifest to the world deeply in need of resurrection. 
The first day of the week isn't just the first day of the first creation, it's the first day of a new creation. Jesus in, the, in his resurrection is making all things new. We don't gather together on the seventh day anymore because a radical change has happened in Christ. Until the first coming of Christ, the people of God rested and assembled on the seventh day, and they did that remembering God's rest in creation and leaning forward, looking forward to the rest that they would be given in Christ. And now Christ has come. Our rest has come. And he's begun a new work, a work of resurrection and of recreation, which will not stop until he makes all things new. The resurrection of Christ on the first day of the week is the hinge point of history. It's the hinge on which all of history turns. Everything before the cross and resurrection was anticipating it. And everything after the cross and resurrection flows out from it. So now as God is making all things new, as we're on the far side of the turning point of history, we gather not on the seventh day anticipating Christ, but on the first day proclaiming his resurrection and the work of the new creation. Why do we gather on the first day of the week? Because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And because the early church saw that this changed everything. And so they gathered on the first day. And that's why our confession states, we believe that the first day of the week is the Lord's Day. That the Lord's Day is a Christian institution for regular observance. That on it, we commemorate the resurrection of Christ from the dead with exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both in public and in private. That's the why question. Now how? What are we supposed to do on the Lord's Day? Are there things we're not supposed to do? I remember being very struck as a kid when my dad uh, rented, rented the movie Chariots of Fire. We watched it. I don't know if some of you have seen that, that film from the 80s, I think. And um, it's, about a, it's a true story of a man named Eric Little. Eric Little, who was a Christian missionary for many years in China. But before he became a missionary, he... Um, he was a runner. He was a really good runner from Scotland. And in the 1924 Olympics, he ran in the Olympics. And it's an incredible story. Um, but right at the kind of the climax of the story, the big conflict point is that Eric Little was scheduled to run on a Sunday. He was scheduled to run on the Lord's Day. And, and his conviction is, I can't run on the Lord's Day. He's a Christian, a devout Christian man. And this is, a, this is the quote from the, uh, from the movie. I don't know if he said this, but this is the idea, kind of he's getting across. He says this, God made countries, God makes kings, and he makes the rules by which they govern. And those rules say that the Sabbath is his, and I, for one, intend to keep it that way. So what do we make of this? Is it a sin to run on a Sunday? Are we permitted to work on a Sunday? Should stores be open on a Sunday? Should we be as strict as Eric Little, or do we have a different view, and why? I think there's really two questions here. 
One is what scripture requires us to do, and the other is what scripture might prohibit us from doing. What must we do on Sunday, and what must we not do? So let's think about those two categories. First of all, what does scripture require of us? The confession says this, in terms of what's required of us, that on it we commemorate the resurrection of Christ from the dead with exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. We've already seen the New Testament example is of worship on the Lord's day. And Hebrews 10.25 exhorts us, you'll know these words, right? Not to neglect to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as the day approaches. As Christians, we are commanded in Scripture to gather together, right? To worship the Lord together, to read Scripture together, to pray together, to break bread together. Um, This is a, a scriptural responsibility we have as Christians. So what do we do on the Lord's Day? Worship. Worship. Go to church. Worship with your brothers and sisters. What do we do on the Lord's Day? We proclaim together and celebrate the most exciting and important news in the world, that Jesus is alive. This is a biblical command. It's a biblical expectation, but it should also be a joy. If Christ is our life, If knowing him is our greatest joy, then what could be better than to gather together with his people, to lift up his name, to hear his sweet words, to pray in his name all on his day, right? On the resurrection day. What do Christians do on the Lord's day? They go to church. They devote themselves to exercises of of spiritual worship, of public worship. In public, says the confession, but also in private. And that's interesting and maybe challenging to us. Do we have a category for this in our heads? Do we devote ourselves to worship and prayer on the Lord's Day, not just in public, but in private? Do we devote ourselves to worship God on Sundays only in ways that everyone sees? Or do we also worship Him in private? as individuals, as families? Are we thinking on Saturday night about how to prepare our hearts for worship? Are we spending time in secret prayer on Sunday? Spending time in in God's word as a family? It's worth thinking about. Exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. I think that's the sum of the biblical requirement of the Lord's Day. We're required to worship. What shouldn't we do? Is there anything we're prohibited from? And this is actually somewhere where the deacons and I, we've talked about this confession we're using. It's an old confession from the 1800s. It's called the New Hampshire Baptist Confession. And this is an area where we changed the language pretty significantly. So if you look it up, this is not what the original document says. And that's because the original document comes out of a time when most Christians in America had, a, had basically Eric Little's understanding um, where they, were, they saw a strong connection between the Old Testament Sabbath and the New Testament Lord's Day, and that they would see there was a transference of the Old Testament prohibitions of the Sabbath onto the New Testament Lord's Day. So that's, that's where Eric Little's coming from, where he's saying, I need to keep the fourth commandment on Sunday. That's, that's what he's thinking through. Um, 
And so, the, actually, the original language of the confession said this, that the Lord's Day should be marked by abstaining from all secular labor and sinful recreations. Okay? So that's an, that's an imposition of the fourth commandment onto the Lord's Day. Um, I think that's a valid Christian understanding. Some Christians, in their conscience, have come to that understanding. Um, we've changed the language to read this, and this is actually drawn from another statement of faith that says this, activities on the Lord's day should be commensurate with the Christian's conscience under the Lordship of Christ. This is broader. We're saying there's, there's room for different ways of approaching the Lord's day here. Um, I think most of us at liberty, and this would certainly be my, my position, and as far as I understand it, the position of the deacons, we wouldn't see Eric Little's connection between Sabbath and Lord's Day. Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, and I, I would see the Lord's Day as a new institution rooted in the seven-day pattern, but untethered from the Old Testament legal regulations about refraining from labor. So if, Eric, if I was Eric Little's pastor and he asked me for advice, I would say, well, Eric, you need, to, you need to act in accordance with your conscience. If you feel you can't run, don't. But I wouldn't bind his conscience on that issue. I'd say, I, I, I don't think scripture would keep you from running on the Lord's day. Um, I think we have freedom on this in Christ. And so again, that's why the confession says that activities on the Lord's day should be commensurate with our conscience under Christ. That said, in our age, in our place and time, going overboard with honoring the Lord's Day is not our problem. <laughs> I don't meet too many people who are too concerned about keeping the Lord's Day. The movement of our whole culture is, is moving in a direction away from any sense that Sunday is the Lord's day. That Sunday is a day that's meant in any sense to be set aside for the worship of God. There is a time, and many of you in this room will remember, when most stores were closed on Sundays by law, right? Any number of things under the blue laws. Even today, there's some holdovers in Maine law, like there's no hunting allowed on Sundays, right? Why is that? It's because it's the Lord's Day, right? That's where it came from originally. These, these laws are carryovers from a time when the widely held Maine, New England, American assumption was Sunday is a day that's meant to be for worship and for rest. There is a day when scheduling an, any event other than church on Sunday mornings would have been unheard of, right? Because everyone would be in church. No one, no one would show up. That's not where we live anymore. We live in a different place. Even many people who would call themselves Christians uh, have little to or no motivation to honor the Lord's Day by gathering with God's people. This is just true statistically. Pew Research uh, put out some numbers a few years ago in terms of people who claim to be Christians, and it's less than half of people who actually claim to be Christians go to church on any kind of regular basis. Um, so even those who claim the name of Christ um, have little regard for the Lord's day. 
overly scrupulous observance of the Lord's Day isn't really our problem in our culture. We don't need to honor the day any less. We need to learn to honor it more. How? Again, I think the confession is just really clear here in a helpful way in terms of summing, summing up the scriptural teaching. How do we commemorate it? With exercises of worship and spiritual devotion, both public and private. This is, this is meant to be a priority for us as Christians, as individuals, as families, to structure the patterns of our homes and of our lives and our weeks to, to guard worship as a priority. To guard Sunday. So let's go back to the practical question. Is there anything we shouldn't do on Sunday? I don't have a legalistic list here of what you shouldn't do on Sunday, okay? But if something is keeping you from fully participating in the life of God's people, if there's something that's keeping you from church, I'd say don't do it. If there's something keeping you from worshiping the resurrected Savior on resurrection day, that's not the thing to do on Sundays. If it's keeping you from worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day, it's a problem. Now, obviously, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that we can't control that keep us from worshiping on a given Sunday. I'm not the attendance police. <laughs> but, but long term, over the span of years, if we're not finding the opportunity to regularly worship on the Lord's day with the Lord's people, in almost every situation, it's because we haven't made it a priority. It's on us. And I think we'll start making it a priority as soon as we realize the Lord's day is here for our good. Jesus doesn't command us to do anything that's not in our best interests. His commands are good. Jesus' establishment of the Lord's Day through the apostles isn't just an arbitrary rule. It's good for us. It's here because we're spiritually dead people in need of new spiritual life, which can only be found in the resurrected Christ. It's here because we're forgetful people who need like really regular reminders of the reality of God in worship. It's because we're sinful, wicked people in need of forgiveness and transformation, which only Christ can accomplish. It's because we're people who are guilty and deeply ashamed, who need regular reminders of the gospel of Jesus to be, have hearts flooded with his love. The Lord's Day is here because we are broken, hurt, and hungry people in need of healing and true food for our souls, which Christ feeds to us through his word and in prayer in the fellowship of his people. We're here because we're dying people in need of resurrection. Resurrection of our bodies, of our minds, of our hearts, of our lives, of our families, of this world. And we gather here on this day because it is on this day that the resurrection power of Jesus broke out. We are here on this day because on this day Christ rose, proving his victory over our sins and over the powers of darkness. We are here on this day because it is on this day that Jesus, the first fruits 
of the resurrection was raised in victory. We are here on this day, the first day of the week, because we are witnessing, even among us this morning, the dawning of a new creation. We are here because we are the people of the resurrected Christ. And this is his world and his week and his day. Amen? Amen. This is a glorious day. A glorious day in remembrance of the glorious day, looking forward to a very glorious day when we see him again. One last thing. We shouldn't set aside this day out of mechanical, legalistic habit or out of dry, moralistic self-justification. We should not set aside this day grudgingly Don't come if you're going to come joylessly. This is the Lord's day. This is resurrection day. This is a glorious day. Where else would we be on a day like this than among his people, glorying in the joys of the resurrection of Jesus? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, what a joy to know you. What a joy to be forgiven. What a joy to be free. What a joy to be sons and daughters. What a joy to have the hope of the resurrection, the hope of a new creation. What a joy to be filled with the Spirit. What a joy to be being made new. Fill our hearts with joy this morning in the glories of the gospel. Fill our hearts with joy at the resurrection of Jesus. And keep close to our hearts the glory of the resurrection that each Lord's Day we would gather with your people expectantly, knowing that the resurrection power of Jesus is breaking out. And we ask, Lord, that even in our hearts this week, you would be making us new, teaching us to repent, teaching us to live new lives, changing us, healing us. Make us new, Lord Jesus, by your power. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing as we come to a close. Praise God from whom.